Welcome to the Trash Cats Trash Cast. I'm Richard. I'm Steven. Today we're going to talk about the UKOA. I fucked that up. Welcome to the Trash Cats Trash Cast. Oh, I didn't like that delivery either. Welcome to the Trash Cats Trash Cast. I'm Richard. I'm Steven. Today we're going to talk about UKOA Woodblock Prints. But first, Steven, how was your week? Uh, my week's been it's been okay. It's been super busy. We've been snowed in all week, so. But uh, hell yeah, man. Yeah, it's like been over a foot of snow. I, I did want to shout out my neighbor, uh, Diane, the old lady from up the hill. She was mm-hmm. still trying to take out my trash cans this week, and there's ice all over the hill. She's ridiculous. God bless you, Diane. She's so sweet. But then she sent me 22 texts overnight. <laughs> and her phone jumbles them all so it's like a big riddle and in one of the texts she said she felt like she was in the shining and going crazy and i was like oh boy <laughs> oh good so that was pretty funny we I'm also sure got check uh, on diane <laughs> i tried to she's really awesome um then we got an espresso maker so i've been nice. going hard on that um fuck yeah and then I'm trying to figure out uh, our beta fish is dying. So I'm trying to, he, I, every time I think I, I'm going to have to put him down, he pops back up. I don't know what to do, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's, um. yeah, that's a bummer, dude. Yeah. No I, f- I have no experience with, with owning or taking care of fish. I know that I can't do it because I'm not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, diligent enough on the regular cleaning. Yeah, honestly, Sarah does. It's her fish. She does most of it, but uh, it's a, it's been a good little fish. And putting down a fish gets pretty morbid. So we're trying to see if he'll recover, but it's yeah, just been dragging on. Speaking of Sarah, she's actually just a heads up to listeners. She's gonna come home at some point, so you might hear a doorbell go at some point cool but uh and and we'll and we'll know (laughs) besides that man i was just hyped to record got monster tobacco uh ready to do this feeling hyped how about how about Uh, you i'm waiting i'm waiting for monster to put out their uh their own uh tobacco line you know monster flavored dip come on or uh monster flavored tobacco Monster flavored like tobacco. Ugh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> dude, monsterillos. Come on. Oh my god. You could. They could just call them monsterillos. I think. I think we talked about it one episode. But the guy I worked with that just ate dip and coffee all day at work. Oh uh, yeah. Oh uh, my god. So. Funny. Oh Jesus. Fuck. <laughs> mm. How's your week been, man? Eating dip. It's not as bad as eating dip. Uh, we also we got a bunch of snow up here. It was actually the first like decent snow of the season. Um, so that was that was nice. Um, but, you know, in the the way that it feels like actually winter now, and it doesn't feel like okay, there's something very very wrong here. <laughs> um, it was like a you know like back to normal kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but of course the um, the teams up here, the road teams have been on their shit and they've been waiting for it to happen so it didn't really last very long yeah pretty much everything's cleared off except for like small side streets so but we i did get a day off of work because of it it's like when it gets to a certain point you know people aren't going to come in and 
uh, there's going to be less Uber drivers, not Uber, but um, like Grubhub and DoorDash drivers out there. So we just doesn't make sense for us to be there. Yeah. So I'll take it. I'll take a day off. Snow days are always good. Right. So you got any uh, honorable mentions? Oh man, we got. I got lost in the sauce with it. The, oh, do you want to do yours first? Because I got a couple. Yeah, yeah. I can run. I can get hit mine up first. Okay, cool. Um, so on on topic, I think all of ours are pretty much on topic with um, our theme today. Um, I wanted to point out these two artists and the um, like. They're kind of the artists that really got me into really liking these uh, this this media this mm-hmm. uh ukoa uh woodblock prints and it's di- it's weird because they're different from what the typical norm is for these you know kind of prints um for this uh style because they do landscapes um but uh excuse me okusai and uh hiroshigi uh they made they both did a uh, a separate rendition of this style uh, or of the series of 36 views of Mount Fuji. Um, I'm pretty sure Hokusai did um, like three or four volumes of his own version of it. But the first 36 are some of the most, uh, you know, um, prominent uh, woodblock prints um, that people know about because it was around the time um, that, you know, people were starting to get this art in from, you know, uh, from Japan all over the world they started actually like you know trading and stuff so um hokusai came first and his work is a lot more i don't want to say dull it's more subtle in colors um Mm. where hiroshi uses a lot like stronger vibrant colors he came a little bit later um both just very uh prolific painters and not painters uh you know uh illustrators and carvers and they make really fantastic work I love um, I love how similar but different they are. Yeah, know? you know, and to to go back and and do you know a similar version of what the other artists did, um, I think it says a lot. And it's not that they're that far apart in time. Um, it's probably only like you know twenty years or so worth of time before uh, Hiroshigi came ar- around and said, you know, these are mine. You know, these are my views. And it's, you know, each of them have like a hundred of them or so at this point. Yeah. Um, but they release them in, in sets of 36. Yeah, that's um, really... Uh, my favorite so far is by, I don't want to mispronounce, uh, the first artist. Uh, Hokusai. Um, the first link you sent me. Yeah. Uh, oh, Skype. Did you hear me? Um, no, you said in Skype. Uh, Skype disconnected, but we're good. Uh, the my favorite so far is the first link you sent me. That artist, the tea house, the morning after a snowfall. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's a really nice one. Um, so, so beautiful. Uh, it, they're so simple, in a way, um, you know. Yeah, and it's it's you know landscapes aren't the typical um style you know of of or format you get with uh UKOA uh prints but they really set a standard for how it's done and i think you know it's it's definitely you know hokusai is most famous for the the great wave um okay it's it's 
that's yeah. the one everyone knows, you know, and it's that that's one of my favorite, you know, pictures of all time is that, you know, that print because it, it was so influential to me as a kid when I, you know, you learn how it's done and how it how it works. Um, it's just a really beautiful piece. Yeah. Ho- uh, Hokusai did the piece I was talking about, the tea house the yeah, morning yeah. after. Oh, man. So good. Um, so my second one was also, it's a different Okusai work, um, but it's like the other one that he's really famous for is the Dream of the Fisherman's Wife. Um, <laughs> yes. And it's it's uh, uh, an octopus eating out a, or uh, um, seems to be feasting on the um, <laughs> groin area of a woman. And it is a, uh, it's a classic representation of um, when people talk about like where, you know, hentai and like tentacle porn comes from. Like that's the one that's like, look how old this is. And, uh, you know, and it's wild shit, but it's, you know, there's a whole era of, um, erotic, um, work being done in this format, um, this, this woodblock print format. Um, and it was, uh, strictly forbidden to do and to, uh, you know, give out or, or to sell. Um, there was a style called Shunga and, despite the shogun's orders uh, a lot of artists still did it and you know produced it and sold it so uh shout out to all those artists you know getting that uh that porn game on point yeah they they really like that shit don't they the, yeah you know they it, it's it was cool. just uh yeah and it's some <laughs> of it's some of it's quite grotesque or not not grotesque that's not the word for it um uh, uh quite graphic. vivid graphic that's the word thank you yeah, and um, it can be, you know, really kind of strong, and some of it's complicated, but it's you know, keeping it, it real, yo. Yeah. Uh, after I saw you included that piece in your honorable mentions, that led me down a wormhole. I'm uh, sure. <laughs> so we're gonna see some other stuff too. Oh, man. Good, good. Yeah. So what you got? Okay, so this first one, and excuse all my print mispronunciations as always this is one of my favorite artists that i know the least about takato yamato yamamoto Yamamoto. yes um i'm gonna have you just google him real quick and then i'm gonna send you oh yeah one of my favorite pieces i feel like you've definitely seen his oh absolutely i've seen this work before it's it it is incredible um he was born in 1960, a Japanese painter and manga artist. He is known for developing a unique style that he termed hensai aestheticism, uh, which blends the influences from Japanese uh, ukiyo-e painting with Western Gothic art to create dark but beautiful images. And they're just so beautiful and tragic. Like, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, very goth style. Yeah, you know. it's Japanese goth shit. Yeah. So uh, if you click that first link, that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite pieces by him. Yeah, this is gorgeous. Yeah. It, it, uh, unfortunately, it's hard to find a lot of information about his work without really diving deeply. Like, I don't know if it's a tr- translation issue, but titles are, like, are not very clear with his stuff. So we're definitely going to post... Um, pictures for a lot of it i also really like his version of saint sebastian um i've used sampled it in my own work uh, because it's just so beautiful 
So this is a painting. This is is this a woodblock print? Uh, I don't know. I think they're they're painting or illustration. It's a they're very very detailed, which would make me believe that they're not. But I've seen you know there's some really wild shit out there, so you never know. Yeah, I think they're these are really impressive. They're just gorgeous use of colors and and you know it's it's muddier colors and not muddy i guess muddy is is a way but like um they're not saturated yeah exactly uh low saturation it's got a grimy goth feel yeah fuck yeah i dig this shit hell yeah um so next i'll move right on to i think this will be kind of funny just google the second artist name it's yeah. D-A-I-Z-H-A, Diazza. Okay, word. <laughs> Have you seen her before? Yeah, I've seen her before. Yeah, dude. She's fucking awesome. So she's the chick that um, tattooed the octopus vagina. She's got octopus tentacles coming out of vagina and ass. And it's like brutal. It's brutal. It's so fucking cool, though. So fucking cool looking. Nice, and pretty colors, too. Vibrant. Yeah. She's on Pornhub, if you want to check her out. D-A-I-Z-H-A. Um, I think she's a rapper and DJ now. I remember listening to something by her, and it was not very good, but I think she's awesome, and that was... I don't know who the tattoo artist is, but it's fucking dope. Such a good idea. Um, go go on Pornhub, hit up the the comment section on her videos. <laughs> tell them we sent you. <laughs> she she's pretty rad though. Definitely worth checking out. I mean, honestly, it it is all like her stuff's all about sex, but the the art is gorgeous. It's so such a creative idea. There's so many uh, like random people that have tried to rip her tattoo idea off, and it looks terrible. She's right. Got, yeah got the og yep so i thought that'd be funny so then you see how this rabbit hole developed so this mm-hmm. next one yep, yep. uh this next one is i don't know the exact artist but it's the t-shirt art of a grindcore band the band's name is stoma and this now, link i i want to i want to <laughs> real quick point something out yep. because what i did was google searched before you put this link in the notes here i google searched the word stoma <laughs> i don't recommend that at all well that's a bad idea their their shirts are just as brutal so the, the, the record label is called fat tub of lard and they do like custom art shirts um of like gore bands and grindcore shit and it's like the most brutal fucking metal shirts you can find yeah, these are uh, these are fucked up, dude. They're wild. The the snakes. Yeah, yeah. The, they're eels, and I yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's just beautiful, though. Yeah, that's some that's some wild shit. We don't have uh, to describe I'm, it too much, but it's yeah, check but, it out. Yeah, you're into some some brutal shit, <laughs> dude. It's so fucking cool. It was so hard to find shirts like this. I love that this. Uh, record labels is able to put out this kind of shit. Yeah, Fat Tubelard Records. Yeah, definitely check them out. Okay. Um, and then I got one more, which mm-hmm. is a turn. It's much more lighthearted and very funny. <laughs> and 
it's uh it's not tentacle porn it's not tentacle <laughs> porn um very funny music video by dj ozma and we're gonna watch that at the end and get kind of our reactions to it so yeah i think with that we'll we'll get into our topic yeah 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 let's talk about it okay so sh- should i start it yeah yeah go ahead Whew. Japanese woodblock prints, specifically the Yukioe style. I'm so I got it. I said yep, it right. You nailed it. Yukioe, um, which is the most prominent and admired style of woodblock printing. Um, we also be referencing a documentary called Art of the Game: Yukioe Heroes. And if you if you guys haven't seen that, it's fucking awesome. And yeah, it's definitely worth worth checking out to get like um. An intro to this art style and, and and just some really cool shit. Um, it was a great source of information for us, and it it goes into UK woodblock printing, some of the big artists, um, how they do this, and it has this big crossover with uh, modern video games, which just makes it really fun. Yeah. Um, so block printing is a technique for printing text, pictures, or patterns. That is used in East Asia as a method of printing on cloth. The earliest surviving examples from China date before uh, 220 AD. And uh, both of us... That's just for the cloth printing. Right. um, Is the the, the older one. There's 220 AD. But the the technique of of carving and and printing with it, that's... I mean, it's it's such a wild, you know, notion because... To think of, you know, for, for now, I think, um, you know, when you think of printing something or replicating something, it's like the work that would go, you, you'd have to go through to do that. There are so many ways to do that now. Yeah, it's, this is like the, the, both the oldest and most difficult way you could try to do some prints now. Yeah. And they're stunning for, for that, that love that's put into them, but it's so difficult. I I kind of fell in love with this style um, of of block prints in general. Um, as a respect, when um, geez, I think it was it it must have been fifth grade. Um, we did some linoleum cut prints uh, mm-hmm. at school, and just learning how much detail went into that. Um, you know, I I can linoleum is super easy to cut into. Um, and you know because it's softer you're gonna not have as it's gonna be harder to get details uh like really fine lines and stuff like that right but the you know the wood block you know the the amount of time that goes into that to get something you know that that perfect and beautiful with you know the the details and stuff is really i think i just find it so impressive and you know to see the things that um you know the japanese ones and how uh, they influence so much of uh, Western art. Um, I got a book when I was really young about that, and I think it's you know it, it definitely influenced a lot of my my own personal taste in art and like how I grew to learn about uh, a lot of different artists um, based on um, you know doing research on on this style. Yeah, yeah, I definitely have been uh, very influenced by Japanese art. In general, um, I I never really got super into the printing stuff. I, I had done some printing, like not um, 
like linoleum kind of print stuff, but it just, it's so tedious. It, it just wasn't for me. I really appreciated and enjoyed doing it, but um, I mainly just love, you know, all kinds of Japanese art. It, it made it really fun to, to learn more about about these printers. Yeah. Um, so the, the Ukiyo-A style is the, it's the best type, excuse me, best known type of Japanese woodblock art print. Uh, most European uses of the technique for printing images on paper, uh, they're covered by the, the whole term woodcuts. Hmm. Um, but the Ukiyo-A style is actually a 400 year old traditional style. Um, it was widely adopted in Japan during the Edo period. Um, so that's like, you know, 1600s. And while it's similar to woodcuts um, in the Western style, the Japanese technique is different mainly because it uses water-based ink. Uh, so they get a wider range of vivid colors and glazes and different kind of transparency that they can do. Um, Yukioe loosely means uh, contemporary um, or uh, floating in time. Um, so I, I kind of take that to mean that it's capturing a moment in time. Yeah. Um, the... Um, we were talking before, uh, after seeing the documentary about one of the, um, grandmasters in the, in the video says, um, that it's, you know, it means contemporary because it's, it's almost like pop art. It's about, you know, uh, taking the, the cultures and the, you know, the fashions of the, of the time. Um, and it presents it with this classical aesthetic. Um, but you still want to try to capture what's, what's going on. Um, and of course that becomes difficult to continue that tradition because there are fewer artists left, um, that are doing the style, um, that are there to preserve it. Right. Um, so the documentary actually said there are less than 10 Yukioe craftsmen, uh, that are currently working in Japan. That um, is very unfortunate. Um, I, I really think it's, it's, well, first off their colors are beautiful. Like they do, like such great saturation, and they they really do their colors just just so perfect. Even achieving the gradations and stuff, we'll talk about later. But I I really love how they capture the scene so well. There's so much you can learn about their composition. It's so well thought out and planned, mm-hmm. and I I think it's really interesting how like it you know Yuki I. Yukioe means contemporary, but it's like ancient contemporary now. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's it's beautiful, and it's it, it's just the, the aesthetic choices, I guess, of it. And that's kind of where the the in the documentary uh, Yukioe here is it all tied together because it was, you know, they were doing modern contemporary video game characters in this ancient style, and that made that was fun. Yeah. Um. So Yukioe is often considered the face of Japan uh, to the outside world in art aesthetics and is highly coveted, coveted by Western collectors. Some of this art form uh, like, has become so rare because of the result of an earthquake in 1923, which destroyed a massive portion of Japan's woodblock print archives. And that sounds like that just sounds so fucking ridiculous. But once you see like how like all these woodblocks are stored together in a lot of these places, cause not many people are producing them. So they have massive archives of all these blocks. So 
yeah. a particularly destructive great earthquake could destroy a large amount of, of the work. Yeah, uh, they say it actually helped to preserve a lot of the work that um, because foreigners had taken, you know, some of the stuff outside of the country. Um, and a lot of those, you know, they would have been lost yeah. if they would, you know, if they hadn't been, you know, uh, uh, bought or taken away. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Skype's being goofy. Um, uh, anytime it cuts out on your side, I still, I, I don't have any problems. Okay. Yeah, I'll so just let still. you keep. Cool. So anytime you see one of these prints, you have to realize that what you're seeing is much more different than a painting. Each color gradient outline it's all done separately. There are some woodblock prints that have dozens of carved blocks, each with a different layer. That piece then has to be lined up with extreme precision before each layer is applied. Each line in the print means that someone carved it out. So, yeah, that's it's just the incredible detail and, and the, you said like each color is a different, it's a different layer. It's like fuck, man. To even to plan it out, like the taking the time to like plan out what piece is gonna be what, and then you have to get it right, you know, to actually execute it. I think it's that's such a, a wild thing, but it turns out so beautiful. And that that's definitely part of why um, the compositions are so dynamic and interesting because they have to be so perfectly planned. Like how yeah. how you're gonna do this layer under this layer to get this effect to have this yeah. line go over it's you're not going to spend the time to make you know all this time making it for it to be a shitty piece right that's the you know and you know for so they're of course they're prepared and you know it's a relief it's a relief pattern mm. um so the areas that they want to show as white um or you know to not show up uh, with this layer they have to cut away with a knife or uh you know sandpaper for small amounts uh so they leave the characters or the image to show in black at the original surface level. And then they can apply ink to the block and then bring it into contact with the paper to achieve, you know, the, the acceptable print. Um, so they have to be, uh, you know, also made in reverse because when you're putting that paper on there, you're getting a, a mirror image of it. Yeah. Um, so that gets a lot harder, and especially when they started using text. Um, and then... Um, like you said, for color printing, they used multiple blocks. Um, so they're, you know, not just doing the multiple layers, but they're doing it, you know, in reverse of what they want it to look like in the end. Um, so uh, overprinting, they could also, uh, uh, you know, put different colors over top of each other in like layers. Um, yeah. So they could, you know, get different kind of palettes, uh, uh, you know, not palettes, but uh, uh, hues out of each you know, layer. And that's um, how they would achieve their gradients too. By Yeah. Um, just such precision to do that with different colors to create a gradient in printing. So on, on top of all the technical knowledge you need, the, you know, the, the color theory is there. And yeah. it's, you know, depending on, you know, what you had for, you know, for the pigment at the time, you know, really decided on how you were going to blend it. Like whether you got blue from, you know, uh, one mineral or another, you know, it was going to decide whether you could blend it in a way that you want to, that it's going to work with this other color. And it's, it, I, 
It's just a whole wild shit back then. Dude, did you see uh, they just came up with a new blue pigment? No. There's always, like, throughout all the history, there's been one blue pigment, cobalt blue. And, yeah. like, a week or two ago, they, they created a new blue pigment. Okay, fuck. Yeah, there's there's some other ones, like the ultra blacks that are, like, negative light sources. And, like, the... I've seen some more of that, yeah. The highlight pink. What was it called? The black was called, like, uh, Fanta Black or something. Yeah, Vanta. Yeah. Yeah, I I did see that. And they got it's some fucking, like pink ones that are crazy too. Did you see they uh they painted a uh Lexus in that Vanta black? Yeah. And then it they crashed it. <laughs> Dude, like almost almost immediately. So fucking expensive. Yeah. Dude, I would hate to have to carve these these wood blocks in reverse. That mirroring would be it would make it so much harder for your brain to carve accurately, I feel like. Well, you know, I assume they, you know, they would mirror the image that they want on paper or something first. And then, you know, when, you know, they're they're carving it out, they'd reference to, you know, to that. Yeah. But that means that, you know, they'd have to. Still. Yeah, be, but yeah, exactly. Because you still have to, you're not able to see exactly what you're carving as it will be. Right, that would that would throw me off so yeah, hard. Yeah, you don't see it until you actually put some ink on it and fuck with it. Yeah. So, and, and because of this, they they had to come up with ways to line these these blocks up so they register just right. So they developed two registration marks carved in the blocks, um, and that would allow the multiple colors to be introduced with precision over the previous ink layers. Uh, a sheet of paper um, would be printed. And placed on the marks and then lowered onto the wood block. So they carved like two little like notches in the corners of the blocks. Um, that that seems like it's like that's critical. Yeah, like I mean, you have to have a cheater bar kind of thing. I mean, I'm sure you've you've had to do it even when you recently did some matting and stuff. Like, oh yeah, re- God, those register. I fucking hate that measuring, bro. I hate yeah. It. It's the because the math doesn't work the way you want it to. Never. It's subtractive, and you have to remember it's on every side. Oh, dude, I hate it. Like I'm always trying to come up with like a new technique to cut straight lines for for matting. And <laughs> like I, I, there is a way. Like I want a big uh like rectangular punch cut to do prints with or something. <laughs> that would be dope. Yeah. Just so the mash it down, man. <laughs> yeah, the art of carving woodcut is technically known as xylography. I think I was I gonna say right. I was gonna say xylography. Xylography, um, <laughs> and that it, the term's rarely used anymore. But I left that in the notes because I wanted to hear Stephen try to pronounce it. I did better than I thought I might. Have. Yeah, you did a lot better than I thought you were gonna do. <laughs> like I'm not even sure how it's supposed to be, but I I read it as xylography. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and of course, because of the, the care and precision it takes to like, you know, make these details, it only made sense, you know, it's like, makes sense to use the best tools and materials you could find. So like the paper quality, the ink quality, um, you know, if you have the right tools that leads to a lasting preservation, uh, of the piece for hundreds of years, you know, they have pieces that are, you know, 
you know, 400 years old because they know, and that's how they know, like, this is when these styles came around is they have these pieces to, to show it. Um, and not only that, they have the wood blocks and, you know, you have to take care of those, yeah. um, to keep them, you know, well. And it's, I think it's really cool how the carvings themselves, you know, can last so long and they can be used to print, you know, a near infinite amount of this gorgeous art. Um, yeah, that, that's one of my favorite parts because it's, it's like an ancient form of digital printing, you know, yeah. that once you have your blocks, like you you can reproduce that forever as long as you yeah. take care of them and your materials are good. And that, that is, that's a beautiful, I love the the ability to reproduce things like that. That's part of why I'm so drawn to digital. Yeah. And it's, it's extremely, you know, laborious and, it, but it makes the work timeless. Right. Um, you know, and even the, the paper to, to print on, it's crafted so well uh, and perfectly that it can last that long. And um, after we, we'll finish up the history a little bit and then we'll, we're going to talk more about the paper. Yeah. Cause the, the tools they use, it's just so ridiculous. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, so Japanese woodcut became a major artistic form, although at the time uh, it was accorded at a much lower status than painting. Relief printing actually evolved from the use of stamps and st- seals. So it, yeah, when it first was like coming to be, to be, it it was looked down upon compared to painting. Yeah, it was like a you know it's a lesser form. Well, it's just you know that's just making stamps, dog. We've been doing that. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, prior to the invention of woodblock printing, seals and stamps were used for making impressions, fucking sealing envelopes and shit. Right. Uh, the old of, oldest of which came from Mesopotamia and Egypt. Uh, the use of round cylindrical seals uh, with the common name of brayers for rolling an impression onto clay tablets goes back to 3000 BC in Mesopotamia. Yeah. Uh- so- the the brayers thing i didn't realize how old of a tool that was i mean that's what we used when we did the um linoleum prints in in fifth grade really um, yeah just it was just you know they they don't they make them out of plastic and they got a little handle on them and you just you know to apply even pressure you know uh, across I, the, across the thing i think i know what these are now oh yeah of course it's a brayer that's so. I had never heard the name for that little roller. I, I hadn't even thought about it until I was reading that passage for the first time, and then I was thinking about, oh yeah, that's that's that thing. That's that thing that I I've seen. Yeah, that I now, used before. Have you ever gotten into any of like the the wax stamp kind of stuff? No, but I've always wanted to. I've always thought that was a really cool thing you'd see in you know like old style, like you know. Um, Game of Thrones shit and whatever when they pour, you know pour the candle wax out on the thing and then roll the you know the the seal onto it and yeah I think that's a that's a a really cool fucking idea but I'm not you know the rich billionaire who could get away with <laughs> you know the eccentric weirdo that puts fucking seals on their letters yeah uh, not only that it's gonna make the weight go up and it's gonna cost more to send it. Yeah, <laughs> I have a, a friend that they do a uh, wedding, um, like custom wedding stuff, and they do some oh, really shit. cool, yeah, stamp stuff. Um, and you can like yeah, order can cut stamps really cool. online and stuff now. Where like you'll put your design and they'll they'll print the stamp for you. It's pretty cool. I can see that being a lot of fun to do, actually. Definitely. Um, that whole 
industry of, you know, making and, and, you know, creating specific shit for certain, you know, appearances and stuff like that. Yeah, they're really um, good, too. So, so up to this point in the history, um, we're, we're mostly, we're talking about the, you know, putting stamping marks into the, into the relatively, excuse me, relatively soft materials with the, you know, the brayers and stuff like that. Um, in China and Egypt, uh, using small stamps for seals uh, preceded the use of the larger blocks to do prints. Um, in Europe and India, the printing of cloth uh, preceded the printing of paper and papyrus. Um, so that was probably also the case in China. Um, the process is, is essentially the same. Um, in Europe, special impressions of prints were printed on silk until like the 17th century. Um, so they're using, you know, this technology, but it's mostly on, you know, first it was clay and then, um, you know, eventually in wax and then eventually paper or excuse me, and then a, a cloth. And then eventually they got into, uh, paper. That was almost like the last thing they did. Right. Yeah. Which, I, I mean, paper is kind of a bitch to make anyway. So that kind of God. makes sense, but yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get that. to that. <laughs> Yeah, quick sidebar on uh, printing press stuff. The the development of the printing press in Europe may have been influenced by the movable type technology brought back to Europe by business people and missionaries returning from China. And there's a lot to that where uh, Chinese printing and stuff has influenced the printing press stuff. Oh, yeah. uh, during the Bronze Age, stamps uh, were use, using a similar method uh, with reusable characters and have been cited for early examples of moving movable type printing. Which is yeah. Cool. Um, the earliest known Japanese woodblock printing dates uh, are from uh, 1764 to 1770, uh, when Empress uh, Shotoko uh, commissioned one million small pagodas God containing damn. short printed scrolls, um, typically like two inches by 17 inches long. Uh, to, to be distributed to all the temples, <laughs> um, which fucking bonkers. But what, what a maniac! A, yeah, um, <laughs> imagine the job. I mean, I was gonna say jobs, but you know, it was probably not paid people doing it. I don't. I don't know. It, you need to take somebody with skill to do that. So probably that's worth looking into. <laughs> Uh, so apart from the production of Buddhist texts, uh, which of course became more commonplace in the 17th or sorry the 11th century in Japan, um, the process was only adopted in Japan for secular books. Uh, surprisingly late, um, and the the first example of of that was a Chinese Chinese Japanese ugh, Jesus I can't talk a Chinese Japanese dictionary um, that came out in 1590. Um, so that was the first thing outside of, you know, religious texts that, you know, they, they use their, their printing for. Yeah. Um, and the, even though the Jesuits, um, operated a moving type printing press in Nagasaki, um, they had, uh, printing equipment that the Japanese army sees from Korea. Um, and it had a far greater influence on the development of the medium. Um, so uh, four years after, um, you know, they started using it for, uh, more secular stuff. Uh, they created the first, uh, native movable typing interface. Uh, they used wooden type pieces instead of metal pieces. Um, 
and because of their language, they they made a uh, hundred thousand different typepieces, uh, which were wow. used to print a number of political and historical texts. Um, an edition of the Confucian Analects was printed in nineteen or sorry, excuse me, fifteen ninety eight. Um, they used that that Korean style movable type printing press. Um, mm-hmm. That document is the oldest work of Japanese movable type printing uh, that exists today. Um, so, despite the uh, appeal of the movable type, um, it was decided that the running script style of the Japanese writing, uh, you know, the the vertical, whatnot, uh, would be better right. reproduced using the woodblocks. So, um, by 1640, like just 50 years later, they were using the woodblocks again for all purposes. Um, Dude, that that's fucking wild. How the fuck did the Jesuits get involved in everything? Well, you know, the Roman, the the Catholics got to be, you know, uh, operating out of everywhere at all times because they need power. And we know this if you've listened to our uh, <laughs> second episode of a uh, podcast. The Jesuits are their own thing, though. They're, oh, I thought they were. I thought that was a Catholic branch. They're, they're Christian, but um, they're their own thing. That's like, the it's same not a shit. Pretty much. But I, it's so interesting that they are getting print printing presses stolen in uh fucking korea by the well they okay sorry the 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 jesuits didn't so they had they brought their own movable printing press in nagasaki um the japanese stole the one from korea gotcha um that was they they were doing you know military work over there military work i mean being (laughs) war um and they they took their technology for printing so is Um, it is it correct to assume that um how do i want to phrase this that uh like different japanese and uh asian printing directly resulted in our printing press stuff oh absolutely so like like the, the jesuits had theirs but like the the japanese model was influenced by the koreans they they knew about this technology already because of the jesuits coming over with it and they said fuck this this that kind of sucks compared to this (laughs) we have better stuff already well fuck that wow um so it it gained popularity among a lot of publishers it was used to produce affordable prints as well as books and as a result japan began to see uh, begin to see literary mass production and uh, increasing literacy among citizens. Um, you know, you make more books than people read more books. Dude, it's um, crazy how uh, like fast that spark of knowledge can catch. You know, yeah, it just changes everything. Think of how dumb people got within a century after the uh, Library of Alexander burned down. Dude, I can't imagine book burning shit. And anytime, especially in modern history, you see a book burning of some sort, you just know they're they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's so fucking stupid. So I, I, whenever I think of um, book burning or burning media in, in general, I always think of uh, the uh, Arrested Development episode <laughs> where he goes and he's, he's burning his old... Uh, fuck, it was a... A tape or a, uh, a record of uh, Jerky Boys. Yeah, you know they just do like <laughs> prank calls and dumb the, shit. And it was the Christian music uh, burning party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think it's only acceptable to burn Bibles. 
Yep. No, no book books. Uh, that kind of leads us. We want to talk about this goddamn paper. This yeah. paper shit's crazy, man. Yeah. Uh, the the entire process in making paper by itself. You can Google, you know, uh, uh, like a five minute video for just like to watch somebody go through the entire process of it. It's so labor intensive and so fucking messy. Yeah, and especially all these years in the past, God, like without the technology doing this shit by hand, it and you know they wanted the best paper that can last forever for these. Uh, these prints and it's extraordinary what they were able to do back then and what they're still currently doing right so so the documentary focused on this ninth generation paper crafter and this dude's entire life is about crafting paper and it it looked like he was becoming paper like his skin was so smooth (laughs) like he looked like a paper man and this dude just he he was he's so dedicated and disciplined and all the paper itself is made from what is it the kozo plants uh yeah and all these plants come from like one specific village the the kozo plant grows in other places but it's all in protected national forests um so to get this paper men have to go deep into the forest into bear territory territory and they're risking their lives every time to get this plant and that's extraordinary by itself but uh they're collecting this plant it's brought back to the workshop in the village they beat the plants down to a fibrous pulp and then they remove remove all the impurities by hand and then they have to detangle each fiber one by one every single fucking fiber detangled by hand it's crazy He's fucking ridiculous. Any spare moment this man has, he's detangling tiny little fibers. Yeah. And the whole thing, they have to do it all in this cold spring water. And I was trying to figure out exactly what temperature it was. I missed it when he said it, but it was super cold. And it'd be like 42 degrees in the the wintertime. God. And they're doing it all day. Your hands in the cold water detangling these fibers so it makes this tedious task like so much more painful he said it's it's difficult for these paper crafters to find young people who are willing to continue their work and that that's part of this big problem with with the whole art and the these ancient crafts it's like it there's a there's a way to do it easier and if you can produce something similar they're gonna see a lack in quality Mm mm-hmm but if it's not affecting the efficiency of the product and being a vessel to show art or to, you know, uh, uh, display information, then, you know, and even nowadays you don't, there's not, you know, you're not really worried about that for, for information. It's, it's all on a screen now. So yeah, that, like, like they said that. They, they had machines that could help them beat the plants or detangle, but it slightly affected their quality, so they didn't want to use them, or they used them rarely or not at all. Yeah. That's just how dedicated they are to it all being just perfect. Yeah, and you had mentioned he's a ninth-generation paper crafter, so that's like easy 200 years. Yeah. For 200 years, this family's been making paper. 
and as he did his son was also working with them so they're yeah. they're going to go for probably a, a while yeah um, so then they they take a screen and they sift it through the prepared kozo pulp and they have to do this without splashing the pulp at all because if a tiny bit splashes to the other side of the screen they think it curls the paper and ruins the quality so they're doing this just for hours till the paper slowly takes shape and um they actually have to measure the thickness to the millimeter by hand and intuition it's just wild yeah he said they they gotta you just gotta see it you gotta know what it looks like you know what what uh 0.2 and 0.22 you know look like yeah and they're it's not like they're just guessing and they sell it however it's like people order you know specific paper thicknesses these guys know what they're doing and in the end of this process one it's a relatively big stack but it's it's not that much one stack of this paper costs more than eight thousand dollars yeah that's wild and then they all all the blades are made by hand by these these blacksmith specialists and they they craft the blades by sound it's just wild. It's all so exact and precise and done with with passion and dedication. It's the, outstanding. The blades by sound thing I thought was interesting because that's, um, you know, I, I have to sharpen knives probably mm-hmm. once a week, if not more often, uh, depending on how, how busy I get. Um, and I've gotten to the point now that depending on the knives, like I have some that I've had for, you know, like seven, seven plus years. Um, those ones, when I sharpen them, it's like, I can, I can tell just from the, between the friction on the, you know, on the carving or on the, you know, the, the stone or, you know, the, the radial steel that I'm, uh, sharpening on, I can tell by both the friction and then the, the sound of, you know, when it's scraping, Wow. Uh, if it's if it's ready, huh. um, so that I I get that that's one I can I can recognize. That's cool. Uh, and then the fucking the the goddamn brushes, <laughs> the brushes. This the section of watching this woman make a brush was oh, so yeah. wild, and I mean he even had like one in particular that he couldn't find anyone that made one that size. And, um, and so he had kind of like combined two other ones. It, um, these are the the brushes they apply the ink to the blocks to to press the print. And yeah. and like you're saying, it was funny that that one special brush was extinct. And I think he was actually combining like nine little brushes to make one big brush. Yeah, like <laughs> how fucking bonkers, you know? And it's just as you know, people are doing it less then you know then the, yeah. you're just not going to have those tools and these craftsmen anymore that make these right. um but yeah well we're gonna we're gonna talk about this this guy a really impressive artist um i mean both of them really but um the yeah. uh the yukio artist yukio artist that um you know the documentary was about is um the the art of the game yukio a heroes um, it's David Bull and Jed Henry. Uh, David Bull um, is the uh, uh, the Yukioa artist, and Jed Henry is a uh, uh, illustrator and graphic uh, that, designer. Yeah, graphic designer yeah. that gives his you know the uh, 
presents the work to David and he. Then uh, D- David carves this this video game style uh, print and they, they move them together and it's, it's so cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely... <laughs> I wanted to first make note that David Bull looks like an old professor I used to sell weed to. This dude, he's got his button-up shirt and his long beard, and he looks like he's down to party. Yeah. (laughs) And then, Um, like, (laughs) the whole documentary, every time they show him, it's like one of those sci-fi movies where the astronauts abandon, and he's doing his, like, video blog of his survival, like, day one, like... (laughs) It's so ridiculous. He looks like he's alone lost in Japan for the last 30 years. I actually, I thought he looked really familiar too. He looks yeah. like uh, my friend Doc um, that I, I played D&D with up here. Because um, <laughs> he's, he, a, he's a white dude from uh, England and then he moved to Canada. Like, Yeah, he, he lived in Canada for, uh, he grew up in Canada and then he moved to Japan. Um, he moved to Japan in the early 80s. Um, and just right. to, to learn how to make block prints. I guess he'd been back and forth or whatever, mm-hmm. um, but he moved there to learn block prints. Uh, but he wouldn't be given apprenticeship under any of the working masters at the time. Um, I assume because he's a white boy. Yeah. Uh, he's, an, you know, at that time was still, you know, an older, he was kind of older for that. Um, mm-hmm. But he became a working professional in the field by the end of the decade, um, just through teaching himself and, and working at it. Um, the, yeah, even one of the grandmasters of the the style, like they had him in an interview in the, in the, uh, um, documentary, he said that, uh, he would likely be one of the greatest at the craft, uh, if he had been apprenticed, um, his hard work and dedication make him, or make his work rival some of the, the masters who have trained their entire life with, you know, other masters, um, That's a hell of a comp- compliment from one Seriously. of the masters of this art. Yeah. Um, they say, like, some of his techniques are wild, but it's because, like, no one taught him otherwise. But he and, gets the he gets the job done. And, so. and they were also impressed by, like, him being innovative in techniques because he didn't have the formal training. He came up with creative solutions, too. Yeah. Um, so later in his career, some of these masters would, would call him a genius and my, admired his dedication and ability to teach himself without the formal training. Yeah. Um, one of the master carvers jokingly called him more Japanese than most Japanese. <laughs> yeah, I thought that um, was cute. Yeah, it was. He said it like with a big smile. Um, so David Bull, he spends a lot of his time also preserving Yukioe prints and archiving the woodblock, the woodblocks themselves and the prints. His four-story house slash studio in Japan is absolutely filled with these wood blocks. And at one point he's talking about how his family would even sleep with their beds on big stack of these blocks. It was like yeah. crazy. They're just everywhere. And yeah. he meticulously cares for this entire archive. Um, he says they breathe all year long. They're dry in the winter. They're humid in the summer. Um, you have to air them out, let them you know cycle which ones are getting air when clean them occasionally print with them and to just to make sure they're properly preserved um because these blocks like we were saying earlier they can be used for hundreds of years to create new prints that are 
identical to the original. When when yeah. the proper that that's so fucking cool. He David Mr. Bull whatever. He even tests the prints by observing them under a microscope to make sure they are identical over the years. Yeah. That Dude. is so insane. Yeah, he said he had some that were, you know, like 50 or some odd years years old that, you know, that he had done and um to be able to or not 50 because if he started in the 80s, but uh, they yeah. they were old, and you know yeah. he goes back and he can look at it and see like oh like you know just checking he's like and he can't tell which one's the original you know which yeah. one's the new one that's because so of the... cool yeah and and despite his age because what he's like eighty something now he's getting up there for sure yeah um and he's still working intensely like he's got a crazy work schedule because he's even though like there are so few artists this craft is still it's a rarity and, and people still want these prints so he he's working very hard to make new work and to preserve its history and he's it's so cool he's still currently active on YouTube where every week he's creating educational videos that will help try to teach this craft to the younger generations and preserve its history yeah i got to find him on it, there Honestly, some of the videos are kind of dry, but it's it's one of those things where it is so important it exists. Like, yeah. the traditional masters might might not pass this stuff down to many, if any, people over the years. And it's like, yeah. it has to be preserved. And uh, that's a very worthwhile mission he's yeah. undertaking. That's a, a kind of thing. I, that's what the internet's for. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's for many things, but that's definitely one of the, the big ones is you know, preserving information, yeah, you know, having it available, you know, it, that's lost, so huge. Lost knowledge. It's like forgotten memories. It's just such a sad thing. You can't let yeah. things that are that important disappear. Yeah. Um, so he had, um, um, David Bull had a, a strong business uh, producing prints already. Um, mm-hmm. He's got a whole team of apprentices. Um, before he was approached by Jed Henry, <laughs> um, he said Jed's an illustrator. He's an enthusiast of Japanese and the Ukiyo-e style. Um, the work he sends to David is both based mostly around like video games and video game characters, uh, just depicted in the classic Japanese Ukiyo-e style. Um, you've almost certainly seen their work on social media. Um, yeah. He's got you know like Mario Kart. I think it was called um, uh, a rickshaw, uh, rickshaw race. Yeah. Um, is the, the Mario Kart one and there's Star Fox and Mega Man and they, you know, they title them differently. They don't, you know, explicitly put those names on them. Zelda um, too, I've seen. Yeah, yeah. There's in Kirby, there's, they're fucking crazy. <laughs> um, so unfortunately people do steal their images. I've seen these images on a bunch of different websites that aren't from oh, them. Sure. So for if sure. you go, if you do want to, you know, look at them and interested in buying any of them, Make sure you're going from the creator on those for sure. I mean, with yeah. anything, but you know, definitely these. I see these a lot all over the place. Yeah, look up Yukioa Heroes, and you'll be able to find their stuff. Uh, yeah, I really like Jed. Uh, he was such a nerdy dude. Like he reminded yeah. me of like someone we would know. Like, he reminds me of Keith. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. Not not like enough so much in the the medium i'm not sure i don't think he's very much into the the japanese stuff but him nerding out about art and um you know him with his 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 kids in the the documentary i was like oh yeah that's definitely 
that was definitely really, Keith. That was really cute. He was working on uh, that that drawing of uh, a warrior on a horse for one of these prints. And he's working all day, finding references and shit. And then his daughter's like, drag him outside to like draw some My Little Ponies. And he's like, I can't get away from drawing fucking horses right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things I really liked that Jed did in when he was designing these prints for, for David Bull is he would do that composition trick where you, you flip the composition. Uh, you just mirror it while you're working and it was so interesting because that's they have to mirror the image for the woodblock print itself but i i haven't seen many people do that um during like while because he's drawing a lot of these digitally and then inking them but i hadn't seen many graphic designers do that and that's a trick i use a lot and i i actually i learned that from uh from drawfee they do that a lot on there yeah that's cool. It's whenever they get into like a real piece that they want to spend time on, you see them doing that. It's definitely one of those like art school kind of tricks where like yeah. somebody who's a real artist normally teaches you it and then it sticks for some reason, but a lot of people don't take advantage of it and it's such a it's a very helpful tool. I've I've definitely had pieces of my own art where it just doesn't quite feel right and then you you mirror it, flip it, and like horizontally typically um and sometimes you'll sometimes that's all it takes it's just the change in orient orientation your eyes perceive it so differently that mm-hmm. it, sometimes it can be finished as soon as you get the right flip and then there's other times where just by flipping it you're it allows you to see what's what mistakes you're making or what needs yeah. to change this person's leaning over way too, too much <laughs> yeah it's so weird i love it it's like plays tricks on my mind so yeah, uh, I thought that was that was cool to see him. You know, the the documentary goes through their process a lot. I thought that was cool. Yeah, and the the collaboration aspect of them being able to work overseas in different countries. So wow, that I'm terrible at collabing with people, uh, but I love the idea of it. Um, and Jed just seemed like such a nice, good dude, and it they just made an excellent team as they created authentic. Yukioa art with modern video game subject matter. It's it, which is so in spirit with um, the original Yukioa prints. The, this contemporary aspect was kind of brought back into this ancient art. Um, this shit went crazy on the internet, and it completely revitalized both of their careers. They were both doing well before. Um, I think they had had their own like peaks and valleys kind of thing, but this really brought their careers to a new level and gave uh yukio a a new love and appreciation um which is just awesome yeah yeah um, really wild the and you know it there's even a part where like you said like uh david bull's got his his you know so much work to do and they're on the, the skype call he's like i got stuff falling off my desk i've got you know so much <laughs> to do yeah and i, I really things. Yeah, I really liked how, um, like he, had, you know, he has all this work and stuff, and he's, he said he doesn't, he doesn't really believe in luck, and I, I really like that. I like, like, you know, he acknowledged there's so many things that are are good and bad that happen in our lives that you know we don't have control of, but that 
hard work is is what ultimately makes the change and not luck. And I, I think that's something I definitely tend to agree with. And I, yeah, it's just it's amazing what he's been able to do. Um, and, and it's also sad, like he's getting older, and there's not a lot of people to continue this craft and he he's now he's slowly losing his vision and uh that's just the ultimate curse of an artist and especially for something so so technical that he has to do you know oh my god yeah i know, can't see what you're carving i mean when we were doing um bookbinding in school you know um there was uh that was andrea learned that she had astigmatism that way because mm. she you know she couldn't get a, a consistent straight line with the ruler because of her, oh wow, you know her eyes. It's like, damn, that's like you're just you're just kind of fucked on that. Yeah, and that's kind of what Miss, you know, that our our teacher told her was like, you're just, yeah, that you're just kind of fucked. Wow, yeah, I know I'm fine. Like I'm not losing my vision, but I'm finally getting uh, I got an eye appointment to get some new glasses because I've noticed mine declining. Like I was gonna fuck. say you should be considering those uh, those blue light glasses, if nothing else, with the amount yeah. that you're looking at a screen. Dude, I know. I use a uh, blue light filters a lot on my computer. Good, especially especially as like I normally like keep it regular light, and then halfway through the day switch to blue light. So it's like, cause that shit lights up your brain, man. Too much blue light, and you just can't. Like I can't. It takes me hours after working to be able to like chill out and fall asleep or whatever. Yeah. That's part of. I realized I had turned off my blue light thing on my phone. And I realized it's been fucking with me. Yeah, I remember the first time showing that to Sarah. She was like, "Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> this is so pleasant." Yeah, <laughs> uh, I just really loved both of their their enthusiasm for the art. Like they they were so thoroughly in love with what they were doing. Yeah. Like he had a uh, bull had like one break and he had like a beer with dinner. He's like, I can't carve for hours, but I cannot wait to get back to work. <laughs> yeah. It's like, he's like, damn. I definitely got to wait, but yeah. Can't and carve it, after having this one beer, but right. And it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> take it seriously enough. Yeah. You guess you're right. Yeah. And he, and he talked about like how, how fun is so contagious. And that's something me and you have talked about a lot where like, even if, like, if you just really express how interested you are in something or how how much you enjoy something, it, it attracts that in other people. Like, yeah. having fun or being excited about something, it, it, it's definitely contagious. Yeah. And, and anybody, you know, talking shit about, you know, something they like. Yeah. You know, it can it can get you hype, even if you don't know anything about it and you don't really, you know, give a fuck about that topic in particular. Hearing someone that enjoys it and like is is passionate about it it it, it really dude, does light a fire up under anybody dude that's like that in my opinion some of the the most important things in life is just passion and purpose and it's like as long as you know what those are everything else fucking follows that's all that mm. fucking matters uh, both of these dudes david bull and jed henry they're outstanding artists and they're working to preserve this beautiful art form um we both highly encourage you to check them out um, and now we're going to kind of transition to some of the older masters of this craft and I'll let you, uh, kick us off with that. So, uh, the next stars we want to talk about is Yoshi Toshi. Um, so <laughs> Yo- I know name. his name is fucking awesome. 
Um, he, he's actually referenced a lot in the documentary. Um, yeah. But he is, without a doubt, one of the um, the most well known, um, the one of the more prominent uh, Yukioa artists. Um, he's widely recognized as the late, last great master of the Yukioa genre. Um, he's regarded as their the one of the form's greatest innovators. Um, and th- it was because um, so he was interested in like new things from the rest of the world. But he uh, became, as he got older, uh, became increasingly concerned with the loss of many aspects of the traditional Japanese culture, um, among them being the woodblock printing. Um, So he would come up with um, so many different um, unique styles and different um, innovations in the, uh, uh, the compositions that um, sets his work so far apart from everyone else's. Um, even though, you know, he, it's still a, you know, class, he, he's clutching on to that, you know, tradition of it. Um, he expounded on it, trying to, to like reignite the fire of it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like still classic Yukioe, but it's so like, obviously his own unique work too. Yeah. Um, and by the end of his career, he was in a struggle against time and technology um, as he worked on, you know, in the old manner, Japan was adopting master, excuse me, Western mass production um, uh, methods like um, the photography and uh, lithography. Right. So um, Japan's turning away from its own past in his mind. So he like almost single hand handedly managed to push the Japanese traditional woodblock print to a new level, um, before, you know, it effectively died with him, uh, as most people would say. Um, yeah. That's, that's something that, uh, like bull and Jad both talked about too. It's kind of like a controversial statement that the art form is dead because it, it's, it's kind of like punk it's dead, but it's, there's people carrying the torch still. It's not yeah. really and dead, but it's on doesn't its last doesn't breath. that <laughs> isn't that what makes you know punk better is when it's super underground and yeah. you know that's kind of like part of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, um, so his his life is best summed up perhaps by uh, a quote from a man named John Stevenson. Um, this was uh, from Yoshitoshi's website. Um, which is also really fucking dope, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, Yoshitoshi's courage, vision, and force of character give Yukioe another generation of life and illuminated, excuse me, illuminated it with one last burst of glory. Um, so high praise. Yeah. Um, he definitely, um, one of the, you know, like I said, he's, he's one of the most well-known artists of that style, um, but he, he's got such a wild story. Um, yeah. but his, his work is so, it can be so graphic and it can be, um, so controversial in a lot of ways. Um, and then, and then other times it's so serene. He's yeah, just so, it's just so him. <laughs> you can, and you can tell he was trying to cover all the bases, yeah. you know, to, to pass on, I guess. Um, so Yoshitoshi was born in the Shambashi district of Old Edo in 1839. Uh, his father was a wealthy merchant who had bought his way into samurai status. 
Uh, at three years old, Yoshitoshi left home to live with his uncle, who was a pharmacist with no son. Uh, he was very fond of his nephew. And at the age of five, he became interested in art, and he started to take lessons from his uncle. In 1850, he was 11 years old. Uh, Yoshitoshi was apprentice to Kuniyoshi, uh, was one of the great masters of the Japanese woodblock print. Um, the So many of Yoshitoshi's prints from the 1860s are depictions of graphic violence and death. Uh, <laughs> they were partly inspired by the death of his own father in 1863 and by the lawlessness and violence of Japan surrounding him. And they were in the, the feudal state then, um, which was simultaneously experiencing the breakdown of the feudal system um, as well as the, you know, the effect of having contact with Westerners. Um, in late 16, uh, excuse me, 1863, uh, Yoshitoshi became making, began making violent sketches um, it was eventually incorporated into battle prints designed into a bloody and extravagant style. Um, the public, <laughs> public people, it, it, people really enjoyed the prints, um, yeah. because yeah, it's, you know, it was uh, such a new thing for that time, you know, especially in this, this art form. So, um, he moved up the ranks, uh, of Yukioa artists in Ido um, with the country at war, his images allowed those who were not directly involved in the fighting to experience it uh, vicariously through his designs. Um, they were so attracted to his work, uh, not only for his superior composition and craftsmanship, but also his passion and intense involvement with the subject matter. Um, and besides the demands of woodblock print uh, publishers and consumers, he was also trying to exercise the demons of horror that he and his fellow countrymen were experiencing. Um, so they called these works the Bloody Prince. Which is an awesome name. It's so fucking cool. Because these were like the first really uh, graphic, you know, prints that the, they had seen. You know, it yeah. makes sense why people would be so excited by these. Yeah. Um so his, his work spanned a wide range of creative to creative topics, um, from just simply beautiful stuff to really complex and and violent work. Um, some of his favorite subject matter depicted folk heroes, uh, traditional ghost stories, and death scenes. Um, the prints were very very graphic in detail, um, such as decapitations of women with bloody handprints on their robes. Um, other examples showed strange and like surreal scenes depicting the power struggle between uh, two gambling rings, among like other unique topics. He was a really prolific artist who produced a vast amount of work throughout his life. Uh, we some authorities here say that he created more than ten thousand pieces. God damn! And we have to assume that if that is even close to being true, that has to be, you know how like edison invented the light bulb like it was invented within his laboratory so he gets yeah. the patent for it like he, i'm yeah. not sure he had a whole team of people that worked underneath him yeah we were doing some math on that earlier with how many years he had yeah. to create and how many if, pieces but he starting definitely. at 11 years old until the day he died if he produced you know like basically a piece every single day that's how yeah. that would have to be it was almost a piece a day for every day of his life after 11, which, but think about how many blocks you got to carve. I mean, it definitely had to include stuff 
that was done like out of his studio, but it, it is very clear he made a vast quantity of work. Yeah. Um, in his last years, his mental problems uh, started to, to recur. Um, he, uh, in early 1891, he invited friends to a gathering of artists that didn't actually exist. Uh, it rather turned out to be a delusion. Uh, his physical condition also deteriorated, and his misfortune was compounded when all of his money was suddenly stolen in a robbery of his home. Um, after more symptoms, he was admitted to a mental hospital. Uh, he eventually left in May of 1892. He did not go back home, though. Instead, he rented rooms. Uh, he died three weeks later in a rented room on June 9th. 1892 from a cer- cerebral he- hemorrhage cerebral cerebral i can't ever say that word it always um, fucks me up too yeah <laughs> uh he was 53 years old um incredibly young for the kind of things that he is noted for accomplishing the number of pieces that are attributed to his name and the type of life uh a type of work that he produced you know, the, the mental state you'd have to be in to produce these works, you know, so many of them is, is crazy. Um, yeah. a, there is a stone memorial monument to Yoshitoshi. It was built in the Mukojima uh, Hayakin Garden in Tokyo. Um, it was built in 1898. Yeah, um, and uh, Yoshitoshi's it, death poem read, uh, Holding back the night with its increasing brilliance, the summer moon. It's beautiful. Yeah, lovely words for a gravestone. Um, so you, all of Yoshitoshi's work is, or at least all that that is uh, archived, is on Yoshitoshi.net. Yeah, which is a hilarious. That sounds so funny. Uh, yeah, but that dude, I was that was so cool to find in researching this. I mean, like yeah. everything they can find of his work is on there. I'm sure it's not you know totally complete but you it's hundreds if not thousands of pieces and it's it's so cool to be able to, to go through his work by collection by like through this archive it's awesome i found that um going through uh wikipedia is also a good way to find uh really high quality um images of a lot of these works um especially like i said the um uh, Hokusai and uh, Hiroshige's um, The 36 Views. If you yeah. just Google them, you'll you even just Google 36 view, Views of Mount Fuji, um, you'll find all of them. Like they just lay them all out and they're super high quality and they're free to download. Uh, they make awesome. excellent uh, computer backgrounds and mobile backgrounds. Really good shit. Yeah. Um, so uh, Yukioe really was, uh, is, was really a style that created the West's impression of Japanese art in the late 19th century, uh, particularly the landscapes of Hokusai and Hirshigi. Um, so from the 1870s onwards, uh, Japanism, which is actually a, a word, it's the, the French wor- uh, term uh, for weeaboos, um, it's just the, the Japanese influence on uh, you know, Western culture. Um, it became a prominent trend and had a strong influence on early Impressionists like Degas and Manet and even our boy Claude Monet, who <laughs> we know had a wide collection of Japanese art in his home and even had a Japanese aesthetic in his garden. Yeah. Um, Yukioe work had uh, 
an impact on post-impressionists uh, such as Van Gogh and Art Nouveau artists like Toulouse-Lautrec. Um, and this was possible only because of the forced reopening of trade of Japan in 1958. Um, 18. It was the oh, 1858. Yeah. Thank you. Um, the end of the Edo period um, in the in feudal Japan, uh, where Japan practiced an isolationist foreign policy. Um, once they reopened trade, you know, people in the West could uh, enjoy their their goods and their art. Um, so I, I like we were just saying earlier, I personally don't feel it's fair to call the style dead, um, especially seeing these artists pumping life into its veins in the 21st century. Um, I think it's absolutely fair to say that the life in the era that fueled the creation of the style is over. Um, and many have taken it in their hands to, to input their own style and work, uh, mostly for the better. Um, I think the concept of composition in these pieces are really important because, um, you know, mostly because the, the process with, with which they're created, uh, and composition is one of the most fundamental backbones of what makes art so great in any style. Um, so it's a good translation. It's to, um, and it's clearly noticeable, um, yet extremely fluid regardless of where it's used. Um, like that, just that style, it's a very unique kind of thing. And you can see it in a lot of, um, uh, like uh, Toulouse-Lautrec work. You can see it in some of his, uh, you know, kind of poppy, um, you know, cafe posters and shit kind of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, you, I, I feel like I see their influence in uh, illustrative work a lot, but like, it's like in learning about these topics, both like uh, Monet and this printing, I just find like the more I learn about these uh, different art forms, especially watching it, that really helps me like the, the visual aspect of it. I appreciate the, the art form so much more. Yeah. I fucking love like, I don't know, man. It's one of those things like, like I'm a very picky artist and I've gravitated to my own weird uh, niche art because I, I don't like most art. And mm-hmm. if I looked at most of these prints, even like a couple months ago, I would think like they're well done or cool, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have like a high amount of respect for a lot of them. And then like just by learning more about them, they become so much more interesting. Yeah but the the dedication and passion that's put into them and the, the care um and and by exploring them more I, I find more and more specific pieces that I, I find incredible yeah um so I just really enjoyed um uh, getting into this more and and finding more art I like and uh more people that are helping this this beautiful art continue to survive it's awesome you know, and like you said, it, it's 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 helping you find more work, you know. Uh, Inspiration. In, it, yeah. And, you know, if it wasn't for us doing this recording, you know, doing this research, um, you know, you never would have found Diza. Um, or you, at least you never would have <laughs> thought, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be real. We all knew her. <laughs> um, yeah. Fucking, it's it's just the, um, yeah, like you said, I, I think it's it's in general doing the research on you know a lot of these artists and stuff like that it's making me grow a lot more i'm surprised at how much more i like monet after 
doing that research. I didn't really give a fuck either way about Monet. I thought we were going to rip shit on Monet and talk right? mad hell of shit on him. But uh, I, I thought about that the other day, too. We don't really talk shit as much as I, we thought we were going to. No. I think it's because we're we're picking things that we want to talk about and we want to have we want to enjoy. <laughs> it would be way harder to talk about shit we hate all the time. But yeah. I feel like we try to do a little trashing, but yeah, it's way better to talk about shit we like. Um and speaking of which, like we got our first 100 plays, which is pretty fucking awesome. What? what? Yeah. That's what uh, I'm talking about. And the, and the couple people that uh that gave us feedback on the Monet episode. It was interesting to hear them say they felt the same way. Like they felt whatever about Monet and just understanding, you know, different things from history and different art. It, it makes it so much more interesting. And, it, and I don't really care about that, but finding the, the inspiration from these things is what's become valuable to me. You know, find, finding the specific pieces of art where, the, the aspects of an art that I might not have appreciated earlier. That that inspiration for myself and my own art is, is very valuable. Yeah. Um I do I, I wanna ask you, while we're, we're while we, we kinda mentioned um you know, talking mm-hmm. trash on shit. Uh do yeah. you have any dishonorable mentions? Um I had something written down but I can't remember what it was. It's funny because, like, I feel like all week I hate so much stuff. And then uh, <laughs> in preparing yep. for these, I'm trying, you know, like you said, we're finding things we enjoy. And I, I didn't. Oh, um, New York. Uh, I think it was Cuomo. That dude. Uh, yeah. They found out he lied about uh, the death rate in nursing homes by over 50 percent oh yeah i saw that and that is going to be a big deal the next couple weeks so fuck all that uh, shit pretty fucked up what Um, else was dishonorable um kidney stones fuck a kidney stone (laughs) you mean uh what was it dick bullets yeah dick bullets (laughs) dude Uh, i thought you were gonna pass that kidney stone today while we were recording (laughs) that would have been so brutal you know I would have. You know I would have tried to record it if I did. Oh, I mean, I not like it would have. It doesn't make a sound when it hits the bowl. It's not like that. It's just because it's. It, it would have just been piss. It just, <laughs> oh shit! Uh, yeah. If I if I ever uh, if I ever have something cool and gross and wild, I can do on can on uh, recording. I'll absolutely do it. Oh, it's definitely happening. When we start doing our uh, our podcast and video format, then uh, that is going to be interesting. That's going to be a very long time from now. I think. Yeah, definitely. Not <laughs> I don't see that happening anytime soon. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to mention? I know we wanted to say definitely to check out David Bull, Jen Henry, Art of the Game, um, Yukio A Heroes. It's it's free on Pluto TV. It had all the ads, but you know a bunch of ads, but it's free to watch. Um, I think it was on Amazon Prime. Um, it's so funny, man. I got, I have Sarah's Amazon Prime and yours, and I can't get either of them to fucking work. So, <laughs> fuck Amazon, goddamn. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely check those out. Um, is there anything else you want to mention? We're gonna have uh, our one last uh, honorable mention. Yeah, yeah. Let's check that one out. Okay, so what we're gonna do for this one, guys, is since 
we're not sure if we can really play shit. We're going to cut to us after watching this real quick and uh, give our thoughts. This video is... <laughs> this is one... Dude, I watch this video like probably every six months for like the last maybe eight years because it makes me so genuinely happy. This is like the silliest goofiest video and it's it's really it's a really catchy song too but it's mostly just very funny so nice. we're gonna cut to uh after we watch this real quick and give you your thoughts the video is called um uh, i rave you uh the letter u i rave the letter u uh by ravex featuring dj ozma and i've always known it just to be a dj ozma song with ravex just uh youtube i rave you and check it out and we'll be back in a sec <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> this is brilliant. I love it. Okay, here's here's what I have. <laughs> here's, oh my God. So so here's here's what I have to say about this. I think oh the problem with American culture is that we take music videos way too seriously God, because dude. what we need is more of this. We need so much more of this. This is, it's fucking genius. I'm literally crying. This it's just <laughs> the music fucking bops. It's absolutely a jam. Straight, uh, straight bop japanese elvis raving out dude this thing has made me cry like every six months for like eight years dude it's just the the fucking the the uh between the outfits and the fucking hairdos and the dances and the video editing it fucking it's fantastic and it's like i thought you know people thought you know gangnam style was weird when it came out you know, I first of all, great fucking video. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. <laughs> that song in that video, great. Um, this that, is like the original. Yeah, this is this blows it out of the fucking water. Oh, this God. this this ran so that Gangnam Style could walk in. Yeah, exactly, dude. Oh my God, I thought I'm glad you liked it. Uh, it just always makes me laugh, and I I really want an excuse to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, uh, this is this fucking great. Yeah, so if you guys, whether you liked or hated this episode, go check out this fucking video because it'll make you laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, shit, bro. So thanks again for listening. Um, so, of course, like, like we said, we got <laughs> you're still still riding on that high. Oh, um, recovering. <laughs> it's great. Um, like we said, we, we got our first hundred plays. Uh, you guys fucking rock. Fuck um, yeah. Thank you. I want to say uh, thank you to Approaching Human for the use of his music. You can find his work on SoundCloud at Approaching-Human. Uh, you can Yeah, John, go watch that video again. I want to hear you get slap happy and laugh. Fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, make sure you check out the show page at Trash Cats Trash Cast on Instagram for news and art from the show. Uh, if you're bored, you can check you can, out yeah. Steven's trashy art. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, you'll you'll find some uh, random things we've mentioned and honorable mentions uh, throughout my stuff. So feel free to check it out. 
You can find uh, Steven at Skyzix on Instagram. That's S-K-Y-Z-I-C-X. Um, uh, thank you for reading that. Cause I'm <laughs> no, that's all good. I started reading that, and then I realized uh, that was that's your line. But uh, the um, you know once again uh, shout out to all of our um, you know uh, honorable mentions uh, Hokusai and Hiroshigi and uh, yeah. Takato Yam- uh, Yamamoto. Um, shout out to Daiza. Uh, what was it? the other, our other one? Yoshi. Uh... Uh, Yoshitoshi. Yoshitoshi. Thank you, Yoshitoshi. Um, thank you to um, Fat Tub of Lard Records. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great name. Uh, so yeah, uh, tune in next week uh, for our episode on. Afterlife, bro. Oh, the afterlife. Yes, it's gonna be great. I can't wait. That's that'll gonna be, be a, nice. that's gonna be a good fucking episode. And that'll be a nice fresh breath of air. I can't wait to talk about uh what we would reincarnate as. That'll be fun. Oh yeah. <laughs> I have uh, I have a couple of good ideas in mind for that one already. Awesome. All right, that's gonna be all for us today. Stay yep. classy, eat trashy. See you next time. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>